0: Jim, I'm glad you're here, man. I'm excited to record another awesome episode of Real Life Real Estate. Today, we are focusing on what to do if you're a buyer.
1: Are you ready? Andy, California, I have never been more ready. Brother,
0: this is a topic that is close to my, I don't even want to say my heart. Uh, Pain in my back, probably. Um, as, as As a new Texas resident, uh buying
1: a home is something that I just ex- recently experienced actually with you. Right. I, I remember that. I know that you may have had some trauma. There's um, you've got a, you got a good a full gambit of the experience. You went all the way from a new construction possible experience and ended up in an existing construction and got a got a good taste that you can bring some of that flavor to this podcast today. I'll tell you what, I know that we're going to dive
0: deep into some things and some tips that you're going to give our listeners uh, if they're looking to potentially buy either an investment property or a home for them and their family. Uh, but I just want to say, again, as as a, as a school teacher and not a real estate agent at all, um, I think the biggest tool is finding a reliable real estate agent. Um, I mean, working with you and working with Chelsea made the experience as least of amount of headache, I guess, as you could have. Um, you guys were awesome, and, and that's my one and only tip today, um, <laughs> because that's the only experience I have. But I'm excited, Jim. Let's dive in. Where we start?
1: Well, I think think we wanted to kind of start with some, you know, buyers do's and buyers don'ts, and I think you hit on one of the very first do's. I'm going to go take care of another one in a moment, but yeah, I do think uh, finding a realtor that you feel comfortable with is a really important thing if you're buyer. And I kind of put a little checklist of of some things to to look for when you're looking for a realtor because obviously if if it's like if your market is like our market, you may have um five or six different people you know of that that could be your real estate agent. And some of those could even be family or friends and could be a really great fit. I also want to say you want to be careful about that. So um, first of all, make sure that whoever your realtor is does at least 12 deals a year. So around 11 to 12 transactions is, is the average for a, a, a realtor in most, most markets in the U.S. And so if they're not doing at least 11 or 12 transactions a year, you probably may want to move on to somebody else. And I hate to say that because I know that some folks may have a family member or a close friend that does it more on a part-time basis. The reason I think that part-time basis may cost you, if they're only doing a few deals a year, is that they may not be quite as skilled or quite as experienced enough to handle going through a transaction when you've got a very experienced agent on the other side who knows about how to close loopholes and how to open up loopholes. And there are a hundred
0: percent agree 100- with that. A hundred percent agree with that, and I think that as somebody who was lucky enough to move into a city where I did know somebody that I had a relationship with and I trusted, and they happened to be a pretty good agent. (laughs) Um, I think that for people maybe who don't know anybody and they're having to go out into the real estate ocean and try to find a fish that that's going to help them find their home. um, Is it okay to ask questions
1: like that? Like, Hey, how many homes have you sold recently? how do you approach that? Man, that is a great question. I think I think those are important questions to ask. You know, what you're going to see a lot of times is someone will post on Facebook, like, hey, anybody know a good realtor? And what what a cool thing about real estate, when someone posts that, you're going to see a thousand different responses from tons of people. If you have somebody you really trust in your sphere, you might reach out to them and and just ask them a little bit about their realtor, where they you know, where they found them. I, I wouldn't encourage the Facebook post though, because you're just going to get a thousand different people. It's, it's going to be too much information. I would reach out to a specific friend or two and see if they know of somebody, ask them how they know that person. And then yes, ask those questions. Um, you know, are you a full-time real estate agent? Now I started off and a lot of realtors do start off as part-time because it's a scary thing to leave a, you know, a, a, a full-time job that's a salaried position. Um, So you can still have a good agent that's part time as long as they're doing at least at least 12 transactions a year. But if they're just keeping their license active to do it for friends and family and only doing five or six, that's when it starts getting very dangerous for the consumer. And, And I'll give you a couple of different forms, for instance, that that would make it really dangerous if that person doesn't know what they're doing. It could cost you thousands of dollars and potentially a lawsuit. And so. You know, you can ask those questions, how many, how many deals they do a year? Are they a full-time or part-time agent? Um, Depending on knowing your market and knowing what kind of market you're in also may dictate what type of agent that you need. For instance, most, most popular markets right now are strong sellers market because of a nationwide lack of inventory. And what that means is we have less houses for sale in the U.S. at the time of this recording than we have in a very long time, especially in your popular areas. So what that means is you'll be competing with lots of other buyers over the same homes. And if you don't have an agent that is, that is savvy at making you very competitive on your offers and is able to move very quickly, then um, you're already at a big disadvantage.
0: Okay. Okay. So here's what I don't want. I understand that I don't want a small weekend warrior of a real estate agent. I get that. But you know what I don't want? I don't want to be the small fish in some huge mega real estate agent's pond. I don't wanna be, I don't wanna feel like I am less important than somebody who's buying some $1.2 million home. So how do you find that balance between you don't find a guy who's, you know, big baller, number one, and then you also don't want to find that weakened warrior. How how do you how do you ensure that maybe you find someone in the middle or is there anything wrong with that agent in the city
1: kind of thing? Man, that's a, that's a great question. And I think it depends on who that, who that top agent is and the things they do to make sure you don't feel like you're the, maybe the small fish. I I fully understand that and think that's a good sentiment. If they've got like my team, for instance, closes usually a transaction a week. So we're looking at somewhere between 52 to 60, On target probably for up to 70 homes this this year so we're closing at least a home a week and you got to think to yourself well how in the world do I not fall you know between the cracks in order to make sure my team that someone doesn't do that is we actually I brought in extra help people I loved and trusted and I felt like would treat um, my clients very similar to the way that I would treat them and made sure to have some one-on-one with those people and able to get them in homes As fast as they can. And the truth is, is if you are closing that many homes a a week or a month, it, you only have a certain number of nights you can even look at homes. And so for me, I was looking, I was showing homes at least four nights a week. Having family, I had to add some help in order to get somebody else that could show another four nights a week. And so if they can structure it correctly, you may actually get incredible service from that top agent, or they wouldn't stay a top agent for very long. Um, So I think just kind of asking them how they plan on doing that and how much of it they plan on doing themselves. And if they're not doing it themselves, who is it? And can you trust the person they're going to have on their team to help you do that? I'll argue that on some of those teams, it could actually be of your benefit to have multiple people. For instance, if I was showing a house on a Monday and you needed to see a house on a Monday, it just came to market. Then I can give you the name of my teammate and they can coordinate and make sure you're one of the first people inside that house. Cause if you're wait till tomorrow, it may not be available. So I'm glad you brought that up
0: because that is exactly the experience. I think that my wife and I had, we were frustrated with the market. We were frustrated with what our dollar could purchase us. Uh, The market that we're in is very competitive. I mean, things list in an hour and then they're gone. (laughs) Um, And I think that your advantage being my realtor was your team was able to get me into that home when you might not have been available. And we were able to seal the deal on that house. So I think that's a great point that you just brought up. That just because somebody might seem too big or too awesome, uh, I don't think there's ever such a thing. Uh, so let's say I found the best realtor. Now, what's my next step? What, what what's my next
1: do that I should focus on, Jim? Well, first I would ask them if they had some recommendations on local lenders. And I'm saying the word local, and I want to say that very loud, because every lender is not created equal. In fact. You're going to hear as we talk about whether buyer, um, sellers um, understanding who the lender is for the buyer, and even investors down the road. Every lender is not created equal. There are lots of different rules that lenders play by, and every bank has has overlays. These are additional rules they can they can add to those rules, and so you want a lender that's got some flexibility. And I would ask your agent, you know, give me the name of of three different lenders that you would recommend. We're going to have great rates, great customer service and get us to the finish line because that's going to be a really important, important component.
0: I think that, um, people understanding that the lender game don't feel like you're the pawn in this, right? Jim, like you have some agency as a normal human being with these big banks. I feel like there's a lot of intimidation, like who am I to go to this credit union or this lender? And, and, and try to get the best deal. No, no, you should try your hardest to get the best deal because we wheeled and dealed. And it was almost a couple percentage points that we were able to save on our mortgage because we came in with a mindset of, Hey, you're working for us. I'm not coming here begging you for money,
1: man. I love that word mindset that you put. It's very important that you have that mindset. That they're working for you. If you grew up in many families, you know, growing up, when, when I did, particularly my family was farming based, and so they were kind of asking permission to do things and asking for the loans and kind of felt like you were asking and begging for that. I went through education field where I kind of felt like, oh, I need to ask the lender for permission. And, and you absolutely are working together as a team. But if, if you come in and you feel intimidated and you feel like you're working for them and they're not working for you, go to the next lender. I had to learn that through another business partner who taught me if the lender's not willing to work for you, go, go find one that is, because that's the last thing you needed to be someone else's employee. And there's a lot of, a lot
0: of places right now who are offering some really great deals that while, while this podcast is being recorded, these interest rates are historically low. So I don't think there's ever been a better time to be a buyer. Let's talk about timing the buy of a home, Jim.
1: Oh, wow. Yeah. And so home buying typically is seasonal and every market has its, has its seasons. You're going to see the, the um, busiest season, as far as buyers being out and about really being heavy interest in homes is going to be that early spring and summer season with your great majority of closings coming summer and fall. And that's, of course, they found the home in the summer and now they're closing in the fall. And so, if you don't want to be out there with the sea of all the other fish during that time, my strong recommendation, especially if you're a first-time buyer, is to look a little bit in the off-season and see if you can find something in the off-season. You'll have much less competition, and, and you'll just have a, a better experience. When you're going into one, one of my friends in the Austin market, he he just won a deal, and it was 38 offers. And if you're going into that kind of deal, just I, I can't imagine – you know, in Lubbock, it's it's very likely you might get up to ten offers, but I can't imagine a market where you're getting thirty eight offers. And how you would feel as a buyer when you're pre-approved for two hundred thousand, and so are the other thirty seven offers that are going in? Um, I would say timing it at a at a slightly off season might be the best thing that you can do as a first time buyer, and you'll only have the opportunity to do that one time because. After that, you'll be having the time to sell of your home as well. And so when you sell it, you obviously want that when you have the maximum number of buyers. And so, you know, it, it's just kind of a game you play, but as the first time, first time you do it, try to time it, whether it's um, kind of those winter months or fall months or times when other people may not be out shopping. See if you can get into some homes um, that other people aren't looking at during those off seasons.
0: I think that's a great point that you bring up about you only get to do this once, especially as a new home buyer. And if you're out there, you know, looking to buy your new home, I think that's a great point is waiting a little bit longer um, waiting while it gets into those winter months, you're going to get a better deal because these people are selling during this time for probably a reason, right, Jim, they're, they're needing to get out. I'm assuming.
1: Well, I mean, I think it's, it's a variety of reasons they're selling. I, You've got some folks that are really wanting to move or job change. And of course we had a lot of that with um, recent pandemic stuff. So you had homes coming up for lots of different reasons, but again, just a number of, of buyers out supply and demand, right? I mean, you're, you have such high demand in those spring and summer months. It's hard to be competitive.
0: Now I want to talk about finances um, just a little bit. I know that, um, it was really important to sort of start pre-thinking about what I wanted in a home. Uh, That way I could have an idea of how much can I afford? How much home do I want? Uh, What areas, the taxes, all these things. I think the most powerful thing that we had going into my home buying experience was I was pre-qualified. I was pre-qualified for something that I felt comfortable with. As an agent, what is a pre-qualification
1: or a pre-approval do for you? Well, I think it sets your expectations on your budget, first of all. And I think that's a really important thing. Uh, I've had folks that want to start looking at houses before getting that pre-approval letter. And that, to me, I've almost gotten to the point where I won't show anybody a house before I see that because it sets some very unrealistic expectations. If they're looking at a $300,000 house before pre-approval and then the pre-approval comes in even at two fifty. dollars you drop that $50,000, you're looking at a whole different breed of houses when you drop $50,000. And so I don't want to start somebody off with the, the wrong expectation. Second, when you make an offer on a house, a good seller's agent will require a pre-approval letter attached to that offer to make sure that they've got a serious buyer, make sure they've got somebody who who's actually, actually would have the funds, um, especially in these multiple offer deals. I'm going to ask that from every single buyer's agent to get a pre-approval. It gives strength to your offer. Also helps guide your offer. Um, I'm not a fan of your online lenders um, because I do think again, that that also damages your offer in the seller's eye. Um, They would rather work with a local lender would rather work with a local bank for the most part um, than an online lender. So a pre-approval from a local lender is going to carry a a much higher weight and help guide your search in the beginning. So we have new builds and then we have
0: pre-existing homes. Um, Where would you necessarily lead people or how do you lead people towards either
1: one of those options? Well, first of all, when you said new build, did you have a little tremor? Did you shake? Did you get nauseous? Oh, I I, I did. And I'm
0: honestly still a tad bit torn. I love the home we're in. Um, but th- that new build process, man, it, it can, it's, not for the, it's not for the faint of heart. And you warned me. You warned me from the outset that, hey, if you're going to build a new home, prepare yourself. And the crazy thing is that was the second new home we were going to build. <laughs> right. And that experience was totally different than the first one. So, um, yeah, let's talk. New build, pre-existing. What are your determining factors in pushing a new buyer or even a, a buyer for their second home
1: where do you push them to? You know, and that's completely up to them where they want to go. I just think that there are advantages and disadvantages for the new build and the existing construction. Um, obviously, new builds, you're able to pick and customize and do some of those things, which is, which is great. And I think for a lot of buyers, that's a great fit. What most buyers don't expect is the fact that for a new builder, for a builder to survive, they can't just be building one home. And that's just the reality of it. If they're building one home, they're they're not going to be in business very long. They're going to build several homes. The more popular they get, they're going to build potentially a lot of homes. So one of our expectations as a buyer is that the builder is going to be constantly inside of that home doing quality control and checking. And what you're almost always going to find is that builder is going to send out subs, that means subcontractors, right, to do the vast majority of the work. And they're assuming that those subcontractors are getting the work done correctly, they'll go out here and there and check, but they are not in your home every day. So many times my buyers have a huge, huge learning curve when they realize that in some ways they're still gonna have to keep checking in on that new construction to make sure it's moving forward. Right now, in a seller's market where I am, and where again nationwide we we are, new bills are also taking much longer then they uh, might tell you when you meet with them at first. And this isn't necessarily a lie in the beginning. They may believe that they can get it done, but you're going to have every excuse from pandemic-related issues now to weather-related issues is what we're dealing with here, to um, level of subcontractors. But when, when demand is high, they're building more houses. All of those people that are subbing are working many times for the same builders, and they're stretched very thin they're just not able to get to the finish line. So I've, I've got one client that's eight, eight months behind due date right now. And that would have been us. <laughs>
0: and I want to point out to the fact that as somebody who is friends with you, I had no idea that there was a role to play using a real estate agent. And there's an advantage. And I'm going to let Jim talk about the advantage of using a real estate agent in a new build. Cause a lot of us just think, Oh, well if I'm going to buy a preexisting home, I need a real estate agent. But if I'm going to go, with the new build I'll just meet with the builder directly and there's a real advantage to having a middleman
1: absolutely and this is something I think that many people miss and they they miss it because the new build process starts off so pretty and feels like rainbows and sunshine when you start oh so delicious (laughs) yeah the problem with most new construction is by the end there's a lot of awkward tension and a lot of expectations that that both parties may have it's so nice for the, the, the buyer to have someone to represent their expectations and to do everything they can to get all that documented too, so that there's not some unmet expectations and things that weren't documented at the end that builder is not necessarily responsible for. I'll give you a, a good example is um, one of my friends just bought one and um, assumed that the $13,000 fence would come with the home got to be toward the end of the process that was never written. And they realized they don't have a $13,000 fence included in that home. And they're going to have to add that. And that's going to be separate of their financing. So, you know, just things like that, 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 you know, they may have thought, well, I'll save a little bit of money because obviously the builder's not going to have to pay a broker fee if there's not a realtor involved. And so there is an advantage there with that said, um, that $13,000 sure took a quick swing. Plus, they're the ones having to have all those awkward conversations um, constantly with the builder about the things there that, that aren't necessarily meeting expectation. And there will be lots of those things, especially toward the end of the process.
0: And with new homes, there can, even though things are covered under warranty, like you said, everything's pretty, a lot of things can go wrong. And I think having a representative like we had, when we tried to go through that new home process. I mean, literally saved us over a thousand dollars because we had you writing the contract that I would have never even thought to write, or even to add some certain things in. So, just because you're thinking about or considering a new build, don't neglect um, a, a quality real estate agent. Um, now, let's talk on the other side: the pre-existing home.
1: Okay, pre-existing home. I love it because you get a known quantity. You you know what you're buying. Now, in order to know what you're buying, you need to conduct inspections. As an agent. I can't necessarily tell you you have to use this inspector and I don't want to do that because I don't want to be held accountable for anything the inspector missed or some expectations you had regarding the, the inspection that weren't met. So generally, your agent will give you a list of inspectors. Most consumers don't really know how to work through that list because obviously it's just a bunch of names and numbers to them. And so they'll say, hey, you know, choose who you'd feel most comfortable with. We'll try to narrow it down to about three that we work with a whole lot that tend to get their reports written quickly, uh, who also seem to be thorough that haven't missed anything for our clients big at least and give those names to you. There's no such thing as a perfect inspection, just like there's no such thing as a perfect house, but that inspection is a very important thing because um, not only are you going to make sure this is the house that you really think you're buying and you're eliminating potential huge problems, But you also may find some things that they they may be kind of a big deal to you, but not a deal breaker. And you can go to the seller and say, Hey, give me some money back on this or repair this. And when, when they do that um, you're able to get a little bit better deal on the house or get the house upgraded uh, for the same purchase price sometimes. Okay. So let me do a quick recap.
0: First things first, find a realtor that isn't a weekend warrior and is dependable. You need to find a local lender you need, to become, you need to come to whatever real estate agent you choose, pre-approved, try to avoid those online lenders, and then make sure that you have a real estate agent that'll listen to you and what you want and can be like, hey, I think we should push you towards new build or hey, I think we should push you towards pre-existing um, based upon the current market choice. What are some other tips uh, we can give some buyers quickly before we wrap up? Okay,
1: I'm going to do a machine gun tips. Number one, be careful okay. about choosing an agent at an open house especially if they're the agent representing that seller they already have a pre-existing relationship with the seller it is very difficult for them not to have their best interest with the seller so you need to find your own agent if you go into an open house and love that house call an agent that you trust and let them represent you so that you have your own representative second um if you're in a seller's market and you find the home of your dreams wait to do a lot of the negotiation until you're in this option period The option period is a 10 day period where you can um, drop out of the contract for any reason. Um, this is also when you're inspecting it. So a lot of people will do all their wheeling and dealing and lose the home because they offered low, um, or they weren't willing to to meet the seller's demands. We're in a seller's market right now. So if you don't at least get to list price, you're probably not going to get that home. Um, you can do some of the negotiation in that option period after you've already locked it up. So lock it up first. Um, know what a right to terminate due to appraisal is. And this is where your weekend warrior realtor or your family realtor that just does two or three transactions a year can get you into big trouble. Um, The appraisal is, is meant to be a check to make sure the bank isn't giving you too much money on a house that's not worth that amount of money. A lot of people get frustrated with that appraisal. But the truth is, is that is also a document meant to protect you. It's to help you not get upside down in a home. So this right to terminate due to appraisal says you won't pay past what the home is worth due to, um, Uh. regarding the appraisal. There will be times that a buyer will do that. This is typically a buyer that's got a lot of money in reserves and doesn't mind doing that. But if you're a buyer that doesn't want to end up upside down in your home, make sure you're doing a right to terminate due to appraisal. And the last thing I'll tell you is don't fall for lipstick on a pig. When you're the, the buyer lipstick on a pig is a home that may be a flipper, um, Has taken and they haven't really changed the guts of the home, but they put pretty paint on it, changed some appliances, uh, maybe done some flooring. And consumers typically love these type of homes. And then you get in and you've got $20,000 worth of plumbing problems, $6,000 worth of HVAC problems. Be very careful about homes that have been flipped um and do very thorough inspections on those if you're finding that they did all the lipstick items but didn't do any of the guts of the home i would tell you to run and go for an owner occupied home instead jeez louise i
0: feel empowered and i don't even feel like i'm going to buy a home in another 10 to 15 years so this is awesome jim it was wonderful shooting another episode i can't wait for next week where we talk about some seller do's and don'ts brother leave the people with a word
1: Andy, California, good to work with you today. Hope whether you're buying or selling that you are looking at real estate because it's a beautiful investment and we've got great interest rates. So I sure hope you're out there looking.
0: Hey, this is the second episode of Real Life Real Estate. We hope you enjoyed it. Please don't forget to hit subscribe. Leave us a comment and we'll see y'all.